Hey, what's going on? Welcome to today's episode of the John Papaloni Show. Today, I am going to be interviewing Bobby Hedlin Taylor, and I'm delighted to have him. It was a um, interesting. Oh, Bobby. It was an oh crap. Sorry. Oops. I have my sound on. <laughs> what else is new? So yeah. Anyways, I'm gonna bring Bobby in, and let's just. What's going on, Bobby? Sorry about that. Like, I forgot I had the, I was setting up earlier because, I mean, obviously, this was a last-minute uh, setup. And it's what I know totally happening... fine. Totally fine. I'm here, and, uh, you know, it happens. You know, stuff happens. We're, we're, oh, we're, yeah. we're, you know, this is the other thing. People have to forgive themselves when things like that happen. We're just coming out of a two-year global pandemic, you know? <laughs> There's a war in the Ukraine. Come on. we, we Our minds are elsewhere. But, you know, we got to, you know, sometimes things happen. So True. Let me ask you something, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, we're coming out of it, but are we really coming out of it, or is this just a delay? Well, I'm in New York City, so we there's been a lot of mask mandates lifting and things like that, vaccination lifting and stuff like that. I'm cautiously optimistic, still wear my mask in large groups. I still wear my mask on the train. I still wear my mask to um, the supermarket. Um, anywhere where I'm with people that I'm unsure of their vaccination or their, you know, or their situation. Um, I had COVID. I don't ever want to get it again. It was one of the worst uh, two months of my life. Uh, it was horrible. I ha almost had to go to the hospital several times and um, I lost my mom to COVID. I lost uh, six relatives to COVID. And then I lost um, about 23 friends countrywide um, as well to COVID. So I don't ever want to go back to having that again. And I do everything I can to keep my immune system healthy and, uh, and stay away from any... Uh, just any risky activities right now. I mean, I just, I just think people are being a little uh, over, over, over optimistic about it. And I think we need to just have a little more caution because there's still a vulnerable population out there. And, you know, my mom wasn't lucky enough to have a vaccine available when she died. She died at the beginning of the pandemic, literally 11 days after lockdown. So, um, you know, wow. I, I am in this mindset that, you know, it's it's nice that the numbers are way down. It's nice that the numbers are looking good in New York State, New York City, and different states. But it's still out there. There are people that are still getting it. They just shut down a Broadway show for one one matinee because the cast member they didn't have enough cast members available to perform that day because a couple of them are out with COVID. So you have to be very careful. And uh, I'm like I said, cautiously optimistic. Yeah, I get it. I get it. I'm the same way. It's one of those things. Our mass mandates come off on Monday, and I'm mm. still, um, I'll probably still be wearing the mask, you know, at least, you know, maybe not when I'm sitting down, but when I'm walking through something. Yeah, I work Nothing. around children a lot. So especially if they're under five years old, they can't get vaccinated. So I'm always going to be masked when when they're around. I just can't put myself and them at risk. And I would feel absolutely horrendous if I knew if I found out I was sick and I was around children and unmasked and I could possibly have infected somebody. So that's just like, you know, uh, it's 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 where we have to, you know, we're all we're all um, beyond um, uh, fatigued by the pandemic. It is not easy. It was not easy to be, you know, quarantined for almost a year and then to start to reopen the, the city and, and, and different things and still having these waves. Um, I follow uh, 
um, uh, her 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 TikTok page is called Psy Time with with Tracy, and she is a epidemiologist, and she also is somebody who debunks a lot of the vaccine. Uh, propaganda that's out there, the anti-vax vaccine uh, propaganda. So I've, I've been following her and I've been following, and then there are different suggestions of other channels that are science-based. Um, and that's what I want to stick with because that's what I believe, you know, and I absolutely put my faith in the people that have spent, you know, a big, a quarter of their life doing either research or, you know, getting their degrees over, you know, somebody who just feels like, they just want to ramble on their social media page that they're anti-vaxxers or what have you. Um, yeah, I get that. Now, I mean, again, without making this whole podcast about COVID. Um, no, 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 please. Let's move I want to, <laughs> I was going to say, I wanted to just bring up one point, like, like one thought. I mean, being the fact that you had it, yeah. what are your thoughts on how the government handled it? Oh, Jesus Christ. Sorry. Um, no, it's okay. We're taught, you know, like in football, they call it a fumble in, you know, and it's like when, when COVID started to rear its ugly head, um, we were misinformed in every way, shape or form in that, that time period. Um, it was, it's still not in the best of shape. Um, but the propaganda is still out there. The propaganda working against the very things that are helping us. Um, so, I mean, from my perspective and, and things on the US side, uh, it was not handled at all. It was basically, you know, I mean, you could look at the, the video footage. It's a, it's a hoax, it's a democratic hoax, it's gonna go away, and, and by April it'll just be gone, yeah. And here we are two years later and there are six million people worldwide that are dead. And, you know, 600,000, uh, 700,000 United States citizens are dead. Now, there's also the, the flip side of that is, is that we, we also need the medical community to have time to do all of the things they need to do to develop a vaccine, to develop care, cure, whatever. Um, and they finally have produce that there are there's now medication that is an antiviral that'll help it and the and the vaccines are proven to work i don't know what else to say but it was yeah it was totally I, I, effed I up that. in the beginning i get that and no, i agree with you i think in the beginning they didn't understand it themselves mm -hmm. and i think the lack of action or the wrong action was forgiving more forgivable in the beginning but once they kind of understood i think they you know they just were successful at dividing people. Oh, but, yeah. um, and that was the goal from the beginning. It had nothing to do with death. It had nothing that th those people in power have no, they don't care about us. They only care about their vote, our votes and they care about our money. They care about how much money we sent send that to them in taxes. And they care about if they get voted back into power. And that's just all they care about. They do not care about human life. They don't care about human loss, human suffering. And, um, you know, I and again, like you said uh, in one of your posts uh, earlier in your feed, um, you know, we can't dwell on this. We, we, we have no control over it and I have no yeah. control over it. All I can control is my 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 body and how I am presenting myself in different scenarios, how I, you know, when, when, when and where when and where I wear a mask, how I maintain my um, my social distance if I need to. And how do I take care of my body? You know, I do a lot of cooking. I, I wrote a cookbook during the 
pandemic and um, it's not, not published yet, but I have been testing recipes like incessantly. But when I was sick, one of the recipes that came across to me um, and a person actually sent me a, a box of herbal remedies and it was called fire cider. And it is an all herbal remedy for your immune system. It basically triggers your immune system into kicking anything out. And it's, you know, it's basically made uh, by it's all the hot elements that you can have in the herbal world. Um, and uh, so I started to feel better as soon as I started doing that uh, herbal remedy as well. So, you know, there are, there are things out there that people should be, you know, should be aware of. But like you said, we have no control over what's going on in Ukraine. I, nothing I say on this podcast is going to help Ukraine. Nothing no, I say exactly. on this podcast is going to help the world as far as the pandemic goes. You know, my book makes people laugh. I know that, you know, and I'm a stand-up comic. I know I can make people laugh. I know I can make people forget their, their cares. And then I work, you know, in the, in the theater world. So theater is back. So hopefully my work will bubble up again and I'll be doing a lot more of that. That's kind of like what we have control over. I have control over you know, myself, I have control over my emotions, I have control over what I put out there. And um, the universe helps. There's that Goethe quote, um, I'm going to paraphrase it, but at the moment of commitment, the universe conspires to assist you. So it's like, when you put that goal out there, the universe somehow finds the people that need to gravitate towards you. And all of a sudden, you are surrounded by people who edit, people who are authors, people come out of the woodwork and then you are assisted by the universe. And I definitely was during the pandemic when I wrote those books, they, people came out of the woodwork and it happened. It, it just like, bang, my mom's book, boom, happened right here, you know, uh, published on, uh, in, in July and, um, and uh, it's been selling great. And uh, it's, it's a, it's a very funny book. I hope that people like it. The messages I get that it's, uh, you know, it's very healing. People with dementia and the families that are affected by dementia don't realize how hard it is on the caregivers. So sometimes all you do need is a laugh. So, and the same thing with my cookbook. Um, it's all family stories from growing up on a, in, a, in an Italian family on a mountaintop in Pennsylvania. Um, so it's like, that was the way that the universe was conspiring to help me. And it was the way that I dealt with everything because I, I deal with things based on humor. I, that's just my, that's my coping mechanism is I'm the, I'm the person who makes the uncomfortable jokes during staff meetings, you know, <laughs> you know so I'm the one who makes, yeah. makes off color comments, you know, just to change the energy of the room because I know that I don't feel good in those moments. So I must, I, somebody else must be feeling the same. For sure. Now, here's one thing that reminded me of something I, I, I've seen before and I've seen, you know, I've heard this before and it is the truth, which is that like if you notice, for example, when you're driving down the, the road or the highway and you see a car pulled over, people just keep going. Right. Nobody really stops. But then when you see somebody outside trying to change a tire or they're pushing the car to push it off to the side of the road, you have people who stop to help them. Now, what's really the difference there? What's the message there? The message there is that people, you know, will stop and help those who help themselves, but they will drive on by those who don't want to be helped themselves. Mm -hmm. Right. I mean, it all starts with yourself. If you're not willing to put in the effort for yourself, no one else is going to get involved either. Yep. And 80 percent of success is showing up and you have to show up for yourself. Exactly. Bottom line. So. 
now going into your story, why don't like what I'd like to know is maybe start off with how you got into what you're doing. Like maybe give us a you know like a uh, backstory of you know growing up and you know what that was like and how it led to what you're doing today. Sure, I'll keep. I'll try to keep it brief. <laughs> um, so I was born in Pennsylvania on a mountaintop, and my great grandfather and grandfather bought plots of land on this mountaintop in Pennsylvania, and then my great grandfather sold for $1 plots of land to each one of his 13 children. My grandmother was the eldest of 13. And so it got the derogatory nickname, Ravioli Mountain, because everyone was Sicilian and everyone was related. And then the families expanded and their families sort of settled next to them. They split the land and my mother um, settled next to her mother. And, you know, so so it became this like Italian Iana sport, for lack of a better terms, because we're not the Kennedys. We're definitely not the Rat Hat Rocks or the McCoys, but we're somewhere in the middle. Um, but uh, it became a cookbook that is Escape to Ravioli Mountain, a, re a memoir in food, which is about to be published sometime this year. Editing is hell. That's all I can tell you. Editing is hell. So I grew up there and then um, I got a scholarship. I was a regular kid, but I did. I was a Boy Scout. And one of the things in my Boy Scout troop that was our focus was we worked with Native American tribes in um, uh, uh, compiling and documenting their dance, their culture, their beading, the regalia making, because they don't like the word costumes because it's not a costume, it's regalia. And also um, what the dances meant. So that was early theater. That's like theater for, that's the most primitive version of theater. So it was autom automatically I was attracted to it. But I eventually got into theater in school, but I got a full scholarship to the Stroudsburg Ballet Theater and I started ballroom dancing. Now in that time and period, ballroom dancing was the big thing. There were Arthur Murray dance studios everywhere. And um, the guy that was our our, our, our ballroom coach, Tony Triciano, was from the Arthur Murray Dance Studio in New York City. And so he came in and taught me everything about ballroom dance. And I just fell in love with it. I fell in love with movement and I fell in love with music. Both my parents were artistic. My father was a guitar player, also a brilliant singer. And my mother was very into stand-up comedy, although she was not a comic. Both my parents are very very poor. So post World War II families, um, you know, what do you do? You raise a family, you get a job, you do manual labor for the rest of your life, and then hopefully you get to retire. Um, and then uh, I got a scholarship to the American Musical Dramatic and Dramatic Academy here in New York. And um, that full scholarship, I ended up moving here permanently in the 80s. And I've been here ever since uh, and started working in professional theater. And then all of a sudden, uh, somewhere around 1988, I got a job in a musical that was a circus musical. And it was The Circus Adventures of Toby Tyler. And it was a Disney film that was being musicalized. And um, so they wanted me to play the lead. And they sent me to the only trapeze coach that they could find in New York City. She was a, new, a Ukrainian Olympian. And her name was Irina Gold. And um, so her, her real last name uh, was changed to gold because I believe she won the gold in the Ukrainian Olympi Olympics in the 1960s. So after moving here, doing theater, and then all of a sudden this circus stuff came up, I started getting more work in circus and I started getting paid quadruple what I would be making as an actor. So the circus world took me away and I started to work in Vegas. I started to work on tour. I started to do nightclubs. The nightclub work in the 90s was how we made a living the aerialists that were here, there were five of six of us, um, me and five ladies. 
And a lot of times those people that were in the city that I was, work that I was working with, we, I would have to wait my turn because they would only hire women. So I'd have to wait until one of them didn't have a cover for their night and I could go to Club Shine, I could go to Palladium, I could go to Club ABC, I could go to Webster Hall. And you know that became sort of like my, my training ground because not only did you have to be able to do the act that the person was doing, but you had to do a different act each time that you were hired back so that they didn't see the same thing over and over again because they had repeat customers. So they didn't want to bore them with, oh, that's just that, that guy up on the trapeze again. So we had to come up with uh, many different ways and there was no place to train. But my one friend, Tanya, had a, a Williamsburg, um, a Greenpoint, Greenpoint, um, Brooklyn. She had a big living room, high ceilings. And she just rigged it out with trapezes, with ropes. And before you know it, we had a training place. It was one of the first training places out there. And we used to pay, I think, like $5 an hour to train there. And we got better. We got better at our acts. We got better at our, our presentation. And we got more work. Then fast forward to 2000, I started getting work combining theater and circus as a sequence designer and as a trainer. Uh, there are musicals out there that involve the circus, but they're not done that often because of the circus elements. So here I was. I have all the skill. I also was trained actor, dancer. Bingo. Here I am. And so that I became an aerial sequence designer. So ever since then, I've worked uh, in Broadway, national tours, off-Broadway, uh, cruise ships, rock concerts. I worked at Madison Square Garden with the band Fish. So I have these, uh, these, these multi-hyphenated skills, as, as another podcast interviewer called. And, um, <clears throat> and so it led to where I am today. But during the pandemic, you can't teach trapeze. You can't design theater when there's no trapeze or theater. So I'm an artist. So I immediately went, you know, right after my mom passed, I immediately went to writing because that's the art that I could at least see myself doing. Um, and I fell in love with it. I hate the editing portion because it makes me feel stupid. Uh, but, but I love the writing part. And I loved being able to um, connect with people on a different level and tell my story. Now I'm in my fifties. I'm not a, you know, I'm not 22. Um, so I have a laundry list of, of pivots that my life has taken. And it led me to where I am today, where, you know, here I am. I have, I'm the author of two books. I'm the author of a, of a published book and a book that's about to be published, but I surrounded myself with good people the whole way through all of that. The minute I said, I'm going to do this trapeze thing full time, I met more people and there were more people that, I, that came into my circle that said, well, you should do this, this summer job up in Vermont, you know, or you should do, you know, circus circus in Las Vegas. And somehow those people found me before the internet, people found me. So um, we, and we didn't have digital, we didn't have DVDs. We used to have to send everything out on a, oh, and I have it right here. Actually, we used to have to send everything out on VHS. Wow. It's my VHS that, and it still has my original phone number, which is really weird, but it, but we used to send, this was my, this was my calling card. You used to have to send it out to anybody who was hiring. And, um, until like at least 2003, 2004 was, I was still sending VHS. So it, it's, it's very interesting how the industries have all changed and then everything has changed since the pandemic. So. 
Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And I don't think that'll ever go back either, like to where it was. We'll have a new reality, new version of how things are. And to be honest, it's not all that bad. I don't think, like a lot of time this is viewed as in uh, we've been ruined, we've been destroyed, our futures have been taken from us. Not at all. Not at all. I think what 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 this whole so pandemic has called uh, like done has basically brought the future to us quicker. But mm-hmm. let's be honest, AI, which is artificial intelligence, has been talked about for years. It's just been slowly incorporated into it. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, look, when you go on Facebook, you make a. a sometimes you uh, post on a company website or a me- you message them, and then you mm-hmm. get somebody saying, "Oh, thank you for messaging us." Well, that's AI. I mean, mm-hmm. it sounds like you're talking to somebody and somebody's there typing, but how can there be somebody there typing at 9 a.m. and 9 p.m. and 3 a.m. in the morning? It's not. Right. It's automated. And they right. have automated scripts. Eventually, the scripts run out and you mm-hmm. do need an actual person. And that's when they say a member of our team will get back to you. Right. So that's all AI. Eventually, mm-hmm. it's predictive text. So yeah. what I think has happened, this whole pause hasn't changed our lives or changed our world as much as brought the future to us quicker mm-hmm. so these changes were going to happen anyways but instead of 10 or 15 years out it's more like two years out well everybody was glued to a screen for at least a year so we had we you know we had the boxes we had the zoom meetings we had the zoom reunions and you know it it, it, was, it was everything was zoom everything was this well, I can't be with you personally. I mean, I did, I'm an officiant, I'm a legal officiant. So I did six weddings on Zoom and I did weddings in person after the, after the mandates were starting to lighten up. Um, but like, that was my way to make extra money. I did stand up on Zoom, which I don't recommend because um, you get zero response from the people in there, except maybe that you can see them laughing, but you're, you know, I feed off of, there's not, to me, if there's an addiction that I have, it's a, the addiction to, an audience laughing. Yeah, I, I, I can see that. I mean, I did. Like, I it's, see. it's what I live for. It's my crack. You know? Of course. <laughs> of course. It's not the same, you know? Like, making it, no. like, telling jokes and then watching a screen of movement instead of actually being yeah. there. When people are immersed with you, it yeah. just creates a vibe and energy that just can't be replicated with a screen. Yeah, and this one company, um, their, their yearly benefit was... Um, it was canceled in person, but they did it virtually. And they said to everybody, dress up the way you would dress up for the actual event. And they hired me to do like the Joan Rivers type of red carpet. What are you wearing? You know, that kind of stuff. So I would, I would interact with them and, you know, poke fun at them tastefully, but it was the most fun I had on zoom because I got to interact with people. I did not know. I got to make fun of people with, within reason um, some people were okay with it. Some people got a kick out of it. Some people were just like, you know, did not, they were not, they had no sense of humor. And I was just like, go, go away. Um, so it, it, it does, we are bombarded with screens every day. We have our tele, uh, television, we have our computers, we have our cell phones, we have our iPads, laptops, everything is a screen now. And if you remember a few years ago, there's a movie called Wally, and it pretty much predicts a lot of what is going on right now. We are overweight and attached to a uh, screen. And that is just like, what happened? What happened is we got stuck in quarantine and not everybody, not everybody can, can experience life the same way. Um, 
it just got to be extremely scary. And, um, but, but that, but the, the idea behind the connection was still there. You still felt good that you saw people. Like I have a, a zoom call every Sunday at 12 noon with my friend from high school in Sweden. And we reconnected through the pandemic. We talk, we both write, we, we, we talk about each other's writing. So it's almost like I have this, this built in mentorship with a friend who not only I, I also help her as well. So it's like, this is somebody I haven't seen in 30 plus years. And here we are see, talking every Sunday, like we were as kids. I'll never forget. I had a purple phone. I had, I, it was one of the newest phones that came out at Kmart and it was, it was a rotary dial, but it was purple. And I was so cool. I was just like, I got the purple phone. And it might, cause my room was all wild colors. And, you know, I still had the sixties beads as my door, you know? So I, I, I had a hip kind of a room, but I, you know, we would talk on that phone for literally hours. And um, I'll never forget the night that I, that the phone died because lightning hit the phone while I was on it, hit our, hit our, 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 telephone cable and oh, wow. my phone died. I was so upset when my phone died. I didn't get electrocuted or anything, but it just killed all the phones in the neighborhood. And mine, mine just did not come back. And I was just mortified because I love that phone. But, you know, here's somebody I was connected with. I had a reunion, a college reunion, 30 plus year college reunion online. That was mostly a shit show for the first first couple of calls and the, but the other you know there was another one from from amda when um which was absolutely magical when i got to see all the people i went to theater school with and to hear their stories where they are now and what they did with their lives since you know and and reconnecting with those people um because i did not have a good time in in college or in theater school um i was dealing with a really bad relationship at that time that really messed up everything that I was here for. And so, you know, you grow and you just get through it and you process it. And now I go back to those people and they're like, they're the, so what have you been up to for the past 37 years? Well, you know, so. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, do you notice that, uh, like what I noticed out there is that sometimes, you know, you, you bump into old people and you realize some people never change. Mm -hmm. Right, like you, you, you see them twenty years later, and they're the same person, and I don't necessarily mean that as a good thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, like yeah, that's I'm why I will not go to my high school reunions ever again. I mean, I, I I'm in touch with the people from high school that I want to be in touch with. I don't need to. I don't need to be in a room with all of those people again. I went to my twenty twenty fifth, I think it was, um, and it was as uncomfortable as high school was. I was with my five friends that I knew and I was fine with that. But then I was surrounded by these other people that were just didn't care to even engage or even like, Hey, how you doing? What have you been up to for the past 25 years? Nothing like nothing. And then when the food was served, everybody disappeared to the tables that they sat at during high school. So it was the cool kids, the football kids, the, the, the bratty, bitchy girls, the cheerleaders, the this, the that. And then my little insular group that I felt safe with. And, um, you know, sadly, I nicknamed us the Misfit Pit. But <laughs> for me, that was where I felt the safest and, with the sa and safe around those people. Because, you know, 
this is the thing. I'm an adult. I can choose and pick who I want in my life. If, you know, even family, like just because we are bound by blood does not mean that you get a free pass, that you get to, you know, call me and, and, you know, and, or come into my life. I don't, I have the choice. I have the choice to keep people at arm's length. And I do that very, very specifically because there are just some people I just don't need in my life. And sorry, but that's just the way I am. I also don't have time for negativity. I also have t don't have time for people who don't have anything to contribute to a conversation. And, and that was the way I felt with after that reunion. And nothing against those people. You know, they are who they are and they have stayed that way. And that's fine. They are on their own little island. They can be with their own friends. If you don't engage or even like want to engage who I am, I don't have time for you. And that's just me personally, you know, and that's also the way I felt about, um, you know, just when you, like my college, my college friends, there was, uh, we had a couple of Zoom meetings and Zoom calls and then people would bounce around talking, but we were in, college days were very different than theater day, theater, theater school days. Theater school days was very specific. College, everybody had a different goal. Everybody was in it, you know, even though they were in the theater department, they were, phys ed major, special ed major, pre-med, I don't know, whatever they were. But the theater was a good focus for them. That was their, that was their uh, elective. And right, now right. those people, some of those people are just opposites of the joyous theater people I remember because of where their jobs have led them, where they ended up in the country and what their belief system was surrounding. So again, I check out. I'm just like, bye, don't have anything to say to anybody like that. And it's not, it's not personal. It's just, it's who I am. And I know who I am. And I think that that's one of the hardest parts. I know who I am. I know what I want. And sometimes it's not the person that's in the room or on the zoo and that's okay. Right. Now I want to touch upon this, what you just said there in sure. terms of, you know, like you, you said a great point there, right? What happens is that, people are not the same bright, happy people they once were. Because so many people are choosing their weekly paycheck or an income, and that's dictating, you know, or a society's perception of what they should be ends up being what's dictating their choices. And they're not doing or being who they want to be. They're being this facade of who they're not just to achieve that outlook or that vision or that um, paycheck or whatever it is you know, because that's what they've been told to do. And then rather than like, see, one thing you have is self-realization. I mean, that's evident. And now those ones that are going around miserable, unhappy with the choices they're made, they're not self-realizing their choices. They're doing it because they're following mm -hmm. basically what they've been told and what they've been told they are supposed to be doing. Yep. Now, we share something in common too. Like when I was younger, I started, I went to the, got Are you were in prison too. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Well, it depends. Do you a nightclub uh, prison? <laughs> Some of those nightclubs I've been to look like prison. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we share that story where, you know what, when I was, um, I went through uh, some turmoil as a younger person where I needed side income or money, you know, you know, needed to make money somewhere else. Like, you know, relatively quickly. And I went into the nightclub business, you know, to uh, 
you know, earn a living, earn a check while I was figuring things out, yeah. so to speak. And um, now here's the thing. At 20 years old and you're working in the nightclub business or you're going to the nightclubs, you know, and drinking, whichever one it is, at 20 years old, that's pretty cool because you have a lot of people that are, you know, let's be honest, 18 because they, you know, they've got fake IDs to 25, 26. And that's kind of the core group that they cater to. And it's kind of cool to be there at 20 years old. When you're at 30 years old doing that, you end up being that 30-year-old, okay, he just does not want to grow up. Now, if at 40 years old, you're in the same boat, the problem isn't the, the, the atmosphere. The problem is you. You know what I mean? Because that, that's the choice you're making, your choice. Because you're growing or dying in life. You're never staying still. You're never staying where you think you should be. You're, 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 even if you're doing the same thing you've done over and over and over and over, you're having a slow death. You just don't know you have until it's too late. Absolutely. Like 600%. I agree with you. And it was like, like I said, that was my, my training grounds, but I knew that this wasn't where I wanted to be the rest of my life. It's, it's a, it's a place for younger people. It's a place for people to hook up. It's for a place for people to dance and have fun. It's, it's primarily just an outlet for adults, young adults to let off some steam. You know, that's what we do in that time period. That's why, why we gravitate towards those places and groups and people that are in that industry. It sort of like becomes our safety net. But then eventually you're going to realize, you know, and I'm in my 50s. They're not going to pay me, you know, to hang over the dance floor in my 50s with a beer belly. It's not going to happen. You know, and I just had a hip replacement. So that's not going to happen either. You know, I, I, my aerial career basically over. Um, so pivoting in my life was very, very important and getting used to the pivot, being able to turn on a dime, getting let go from one job in the morning and being able to have a second job ready to go just by making a phone call. <clears throat> when I was younger, that was how it, I was able to walk from one bar to the next to give my resume to the manager and they knew who I was. So if somebody was having a staffing issue or let, let you know, there was one restaurant I was, I was at for a couple of years and they brought in a new manager and this woman was an absolute biatch. Um, and she just decided to let everybody go that she felt threatened by because we had tenure. And basically that's what it was. Um, I ended up actually, you know, having a, not a, a, a very small lawsuit, but a lawsuit because of the way that I was let go. And, you know, they lost and they paid it. But the bottom line was, is that I was ready with that second job. I was ready to go to that next place. I had it ready to go. It was almost like the universe knew it was going to happen. So they opened up a spot in this one bar. So when that restaurant biatch manager came in, oh, and by the way, I gleefully, she was fired like a year later. So karma's a bitch. Anyway, um, so fast forward that spot was waiting for me. And I walked into it, literally walked into it. But I, I feel like if you're not used to pivoting in your life, and now I'm sort of like, I pivot, I'm like the Tin Man from the Wizard of Oz, like oil can, I'm not pivoting that quickly. I'm not going into a new career at 50 plus years old. What do you mean? But sometimes you have to trust the universe. And I know that that's a hard thing for people to hear. It's very cliche. But Trusting the universe to bring you what you need is very, very, it's very healing to just sort of say, okay, universe, I surrender. Oops, excuse me. I surrender. This is what, this is where I am. 
show me what's next. And sometimes it happens right away. You know, mom died on a, on a Saturday. I got sick on a Monday. I started writing two weeks later when I literally couldn't get out of bed. So what did I do? What did I have to do? I connected on YouTube. I was watching different YouTube clips and then mom's voice was playing over in my head and her little quips. And I had been sharing them on social media for five years while she was in the nursing home under the hashtag shit. My mama says that's why the title of the book is hashtag shit. My mama says, and I was already writing the book for six years and didn't know it. So it was compiling all of those catchy stories and sayings and little deals, little things you deal with when you deal with an elderly parent who's um, got dementia and slowly slipping away. So you, you deal with, I deal with life and humor and that's what I did with my book. So I hope you get a chance to read it too. I would really love your opinion on it. I, and I sent you a PDF. Um, I know this was a quick interview. I usually like to send it a week in advance to give people a chance to read it, but to, you know, it's, it's, it's really gotten a lot of traction and a lot of fun responses. And, um, for a self-published book, I sold, um, in six months, I sold almost 1500 copies. So that's amazing. That's like on, in the, in the self-publishing world, that's un, you know, un, unreal, unbelievable. Um, so, and it's a very small book. It reads in under an hour and a lot of people leave it on the back of their toilet, believe it or not, because it is a funny book to read while you're on the John. <laughs> so I don't know why, but I had a fr I had two, I had a friend who was a drag queen in San Francisco who did a dramatic reading of it, of the quotes in her nightclub. It was, it, it was hysterical. And then I had a friend who sent me a video of her bathroom door and she said, listen, and there was a person in the bathroom howling with laughter because she was reading it. <laughs> That's and awesome. So, so, you know, my mom is out there. She's, she's still alive. Her words are alive. She's in more countries than she's ever been. She's ever visited countries. She's only ever been to Canada, but her books are in Canada now. Her books are in Mexico. Her books are in Berlin, in uh, Germany, in, um, uh, she's in um, uh, the UK. She's in Ireland. She's in New Zealand, Australia. Um, so she's out there. She, she's, she, her words are universal, if not, you know, for lack of better terms, because of the translation of certain body part names, I think people can gravitate towards what my mother nicknamed her own body parts for. Um, but you can still get a chuckle out of it no matter where you're from. So I, I feel like that pivot happened so quickly. And I just had to say, okay, universe, here I am. It's your turn. You tell me what I need to do. And it happened. Yeah, I agree with what you're saying here. Like, this is one thing I've noticed throughout life. I mean, and it doesn't make it easier because, you know, when, when shit hits the fan, you still feel stressed. But I found no matter what life has thrown, what ends up happening somewhere along the line, things work out somehow. Maybe not the way you expected it. Maybe not the way you hoped for. Sometimes it works out better than you hoped for. But it's one of those things that no matter what happens, things somehow work out. So sometimes I think about that and I just say, you know what? I can sit here and, and stress about it and I can get bent out of shape, but that's not going to change anything. Uh -oh. So the universe has never let anybody down until now. So maybe I should just trust in that and do what I need to do to move forward. I think in general, it's hard to be open 
and because we're used to routine and now we don't yes. have a routine anymore. There's a quote from one of my favorite Sondheim musicals. Um, White, a blank page or canvas, endless possibilities. And you're given a blank canvas when you're given a new project, when you're given new art, when you have a new job, you get to write the story, you get to paint the picture. One of the quotes that I use for myself when I talk about aerial sequence and circus design is, midair is my canvas and the human body is my paintbrush. So I get to paint with human bodies. I get to make those bodies tell stories as they travel through midair. And that's the joy in being able to do the kind of work that I do. Now, granted, I haven't done it in a while because of the pandemic, but as theater opens up and those moments are in different shows that they know they're going to need them, my work gets uh, gets bubbled up that way. So I always have that um, in the back of my head. I always have that 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 little voice that says, "It's okay. Be open to what the possibilities are, and then just." step out and the net will, will uh, step off the platform. If you're a trapeze artist, you step off the platform and the net will meet you. you the net will appear. So you gotta, there are risks involved, but you just have to trust. Now, calculated risk also, calculated risk and calculated steps. Don't just say, I'm going in tomorrow, I'm quitting my job without anything else and, and assume that the universe is gonna be like, okay, what do I do next? Well, you go out and look for a job because you just fucked yourself. Pardon my French, but, you know, I don't know if like, but, um, you know, but that's, but the thing is, is like, you must remember that we're, there is a risk involved in making a pivot. Sometimes it's the wrong turn. Sometimes you're in a fork in a road and you go the wrong way. Um, you want to get to the Emerald City, but you end up going through the, the witch's forest, you know, so it's like, you, you have to take calculated risks and know when to dial back and know when to move forward. Yeah, but let's be honest, right? Our biggest lessons do not come from our wins. Our biggest lessons comes from our fails. Absolutely. Right? It, 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 essentially, who you are when you win is pretty much the same person you were five minutes ago. But the lessons you learn from you know losing and who you become after that loss, that's where you see the biggest change. I... I am a stickler for videotaping myself when I do stand up because even if the act bombs that night and most of the time I don't bomb, but it's happened and it's not a good feeling, but I, I usually, when I was younger, I would beat myself up with that bad video. And, but now I look at it and I say, this is how we fix this part to get the laugh here. This is how we fix this part to get this part correctly. Um, same thing with my books. As much as I hate editing, the response that I get from people who are writers and editors and things like that, I value so much more than I would anything else because this is their, this is, the, I don't live in the writing world. I, it's not, I don't breathe, eat, and sleep writing. It's something I did. It's something I wanted to do. It's a story that these, these stories and, and recipes and quotes have been floating around in my head and they needed to come out. And the only way that I can move on to the next piece of work or art is to get these on paper. So hearing 
okay, this sentence is wrong. Okay, you can reword this a different way. This is a cliche. When you're writing, take cliches out. You know, like getting that response from people. I have a really, really wonderful uh, close friend who we were friends for almost 10 years and she lives around the corner from me and I didn't know she was an author. I mean, I kind of knew she was an author, but I didn't know she was an editor. I didn't know she had had as much experience as, you know, she does. But um, she's my, that's my friend Susie. And we, we, we became each other's accountability buddy during the pandemic. I would have um, socially distant cocktails and desserts in my garage. And she would come over on a Sunday. We would just chat. We would be six feet apart, but I would make a cocktail and your dessert. And then we would just sit and just, just chat and just have a human body to talk to someone who you felt comfortable with. And during that time period, she would share, you know, her experience. When I was, since, since I was writing, she also helped me edit. And she also was, you know, she's a little brutal about it sometimes, but then there are other times like, you're only going to learn if you take that and beat yourself up with it. You're going to, you're not going to learn, but if you take that and say, okay, I get what you're saying and I'm going to change it. And that's the best way that I can say to move through any kind of change in life. And then, you know, with Susie, our, our friendship grew in a way that I never knew could grow. It's just like, she's my buddy. She's my, 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 um, my accountability buddy, you know, cause we check in with each other. She lost her mom also a year after I lost my mom. So we kind of had that, that, you know, that bond of being, you know, now all of a sudden we are alone in the world as adults and this is the final stage of being an adult is saying goodbye to that generation both your parents and their brothers and sisters and my my um my mother and her two sisters were the last three of that entire generation to go so um and you know covid took them took all three of them so it, oh, wow. it was it was that immediate situation um, Susie's mom didn't die from COVID, but it's still the idea that you're, you're not necessarily an orphan, but in a way yeah. you are now a full fledged adult. You are now, you're in charge of your own life. Your parents can't bail you out. You can't be on their insurance anymore. You can't, you know, the parents can't do anything for you. Yeah. Even though I was very much on my own since I was 16, um, you know, your parents are still very influential no matter where they are in your life. So for sure. Now, my mom had Alzheimer's, which is similar to dementia. Not exactly the same, but they're almost parallel. And yeah, yeah I mean, that uh, was not a pretty sight. No. Um, and I could tell you, so when you were talking about your mom and you mentioned the dementia and all that, I was kind of relating to that. And, and it's like, even my mom at the end, in a way, not that I'm happy that she's gone, but in a way she took the... Uh, misery away from us and what i mean by that is that it got to the point the doctor said she's at a point that you have to make a choice mm-hmm. where you can let her try to eat on her own the way she's eating and she'll choke to death mm-hmm. or she'll have a, uh, a feeding tube put in but it'll be painful for her which will just buy you a little bit more time and I'm thinking to myself, you're asking us to make a choice. Both are bad, painful choices. Right. How can how can any, you know, child or relative or I mean, I wouldn't have been a child of in my 30s, but or late 30s, but you know what I mean. But the point I'm getting at is, how can anyone connected to someone like that, like, make a choice and live with themselves with whatever choice you have to make? Yeah. 
You know what I mean? Like that—that that, that wasn't a win or a win or lose choice. That was a lose or lose. Yeah. You see, I—I mean? like, I had a different experience because my mom was still. She was she was in the throes of dementia, but she was still in. Um, she was still. She knew who I was. She knew where she was, but she always called it the hospital. She never called it the nursing home. Right. And, yeah. My uh, mom didn't recognize the. Uh, yeah. Exactly. No, she didn't know no. it as a nursing facility. Um, but yeah, dementia is so different, and um, you know, it's it's very much a what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Alzheimer's. If you show a set of keys to somebody with dementia, they just can't remember what key opens what lock. When you yes. show a set of keys to an Alzheimer's patient, they don't know what keys are. So yes, it, yes. So I, like I said, there's a subtle difference, but yeah. they're, but you know they're they're similar. Now going to where I was saying with my mom is that she took that choice away from us, right? As in she like we had to make a choice by the Monday, and she passed off on her own on the Friday. Mm-hmm. So alleviated that burden on us because I, I don't know what choice we would have made, like me and my siblings. Right? It's and, hard and, because you are so beaten down by what society tells us we should do. And ultimately, you really want to do what's right for her. And, you know, we don't get that. We don't get the choice to euthanize someone who's ready to go. We have to wait and let they, and sometimes they suffer. Um, through that, um, not that I'm, uh, I'm looking for, you know, to give that as a free thing, but there is actually some, you know, there's some value in letting someone go peacefully and giving them some dignity than dragging them on for weeks and sometimes months. Yeah. And, you know, a lot of times they, like my father waited for me. My father had cancer. He had lung cancer and he waited for me to come home. And he died while I was with him alone and he took his last breath and, but he waited for me. He knew I was coming and he, and I said to him, I said, if you need to go, it's okay. Mom and I, and my brother, we will take, we'll take care of mom and you know, things will be okay here. And with that, he left. And sometimes though, they need permission to go. They need permission to let go. Um, but also like in all of the, 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 the death and dying stories that we hear out there, some of the most beautiful ones are when people go peacefully on their own and um, you know, and, and, and they just, you know, my mother, my mother woke up at seven o'clock in the morning, walked to the nurse's station, was having a conversation with her favorite nurse. Um, she still was sick, but then she just slumped over mid sentence and was gone. So knowing that she died that quickly meant that, um, you know, that she wasn't in any pain. I mean, she was, uh, she was miserable from being sick, but, and she didn't like the nursing home, which I have to deal with the guilt of that. Um, But she went quickly and peacefully, but not, not everybody gets that chance. Not everybody gets that choice either. And I really, uh, it's sad because we've, we've reached a place in our society where, we should let people go if they want to go or if they don't have a chance of making it or staying, you know, the person that they were. Um, another friend uh, uh, talked about his mother 
and that she refused chemo t- chemotherapy. She said, I don't want to go in pieces. Let me just go. And my grandmother was the same thing. She's like, I don't, I, I, if, I, if, I'm, if you're going to take the tumors out of my brain and, and then, I, you know, if I'm going to die anyway, then why should I bother with chemotherapy? And she was so vain. She knew she would lose her hair. She had five feet of black, jet black hair. So she, they did the, they removed the, the, um, the tumors and just kept her comfortable. And she died a month later. So it was, you know, some people know that it's their time is done. They've done everything they can do on this plane and they want to go and they want to go on to the other world. Um, We don't, we don't, we don't always have the choice, you know, but as a, as a child of somebody, I want to keep, I wanted to keep her around as long as possible because it's my mom, you know, it's my mom. She was my buddy. Same with my dad, you know, Um, he died when I was younger. So I was only in my twenties when he passed. So you don't get that. You always don't get that choice. And death is traumatic, no matter, no matter how you deal with it. Um, It's even when it happens, even if it's planned or, you know, or or not planned, but even if it's um, expected, it's always a surprise when it happens. And it's never easy to take on the, you know, when you get that phone call or, you know, when you get that email or you see someone post about on Facebook, which was basically how I found out most of my friends who died of COVID, 23 friends, I found out via Facebook that wow. they had passed. Um, and the Facebook uh, algorithm loves to tell you what your memories were from one year ago. So, oh, yes. you know, every year, it's been, oh, by the way, so-and-so died on this day, on this day, on this day. And you're transported back to that original feeling. So, I, you know, and, and again, it's not about, it's not about um, the, the idea of death and dying. That's, it's not, that doesn't scare me. It's, I want to finish all the stuff that I've set out to do before I go. You know, it's like, I got stuff to do. I don't have time for sickness. I don't have time for, you know. I got plans. And uh, so I encourage people to, you know, do everything you can do in what time you have left, because we only on this world, you know, a short period of time in the grand scheme of things. So make your mark, you know, and that's well, absolutely message. right. Like, like, that's the thing. A lot of times people fear the death, but the reality is you can't change it. So you can spend your life worrying about it and not enjoying your life, or you can just spend every moment and read and doing what you want to do and living life for you and enjoy every moment you have. I mean, I think the biggest fear should not be death. The biggest fear should be that you don't reach your full potential. Bingo. Yeah. I don't fear death. I fear, I feel not finishing. I know, I know that your inbox is always going to be full. Like they say, that's the, like, no matter when you go, your inbox is going to be full. You're going to have a lot of mail to go through. You're going to have a lot of projects that aren't finished, but you, you do what you can in the time that you're given. And like I said, I'm not ready to go. I, I plan to go kicking and screaming and, uh, and until the very last second. And then my body can just disintegrate into ash because I want to use up absolutely every, every cell I have left in my body. Absolutely. So with that being said, what I want to ask you, I mean, obviously you didn't have the typical life that everyone's been preached on, right? Like, I mean, you didn't go into the corporate America. Now, my question with you on that was, 
Did you ever have, like growing up, did you ever have that intent to get into corporate America? Or was it something you knew right from the get-go that it just wasn't you? Um, I never, never. My grandmother was so upset when I told her that I wanted to go into theater school and to be a dancer and to, you know, she was so upset. She did not want me to do that. My family was not happy with the fact that there was an actor in their midst. Um, and uh, they just weren't, you know, thrilled. My father was very proud. My father would show, you know, would, 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 would brag about me at work all the time. Um, it, because this is their way of saying, I love you. And that's the post World War II mentality. Both my parents lived through World War II. My father was in the Korean war. So you have all of this, you know, you, you, uh, the country was in a different state. So you lost everything. There was rationing for, you know, for food. There was rationing for metals, you know, so all of those things were very much part of their upbringing. So when you are raising children post-World War II, you are doing the same thing that you want them to be safe. You want them to have a family. You want them to have a legacy. You want them to have a house, to have a job. So they push for that. They push for that. They don't want you to be an artist because they don't see art as being a viable uh, career. But I did work in commercial real estate in the early nineties, I took a detour and I started in the mail room and then I started doing site visits for the, the commercial real estate. Um, ended up getting fired from that job because I was doing more performances outside of the office. I was promoting my work as a nightclub performer and as a trapeze artist. And I was just focused on the art so much so that my work suffered and it wasn't a, um, you know, it was a, it wasn't, a, wasn't a, uh, a mean-spirited parting. It was just, I wasn't right for the job. They needed somebody that was, you know, Johnny on the spot and could do whatever they wanted. And corporate America, you know, chews those people up and spits them out. And that's just the nature of corporate America, you know? Um, but I, nowadays I think about it, like what would my life have been? I, you know, I don't have the, the education that's needed to join corporate America now. So it's not necessarily in my scope. I just have to keep doing what I know how to do to make ends meet and to build a legacy on that. Um, but, you know, sometimes you may have to go into corporate America and just live on that plane. I just know that I'd be the one fired for being, for making, um, you know, in, in, inappropriate comments during staff meeting with the CEO, you know, I would be that guy. I would be, that, you know, so, um, so I, 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 I did it. I did have a taste of it. It was, it just was not me at all. And now I look back at it and go, Oh my God, I was so upset when I lost that job. And I'm like, I made $11 an hour and I was, you know, in the mail room and I was, you know, doing site visits and that's it. And I was not happy. I was happier when I left the job and was rehearsing happier when I left the job and was performing. And that's what I did. And, and that's who I am. And I think that knowing who you are informs, what your path is you can still have a house you can still have a career you can still have savings i don't have any of those things yet but they're coming <laughs> but the idea though is um just be your authentic self and i know that that's such a cliche and we're not supposed to say that but be your authentic self know thyself as shakespeare said because once you know who you are you can be the best you possible and that's okay. my, that's my goal in life just to be the best Bobby as possible. Now, 
I want to be respectful of your time. We've uh, reached the oh, 59 wow, an hour. mark. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. I know so, I ramble. You're like one of the, okay. you know, oh, we'll talk a couple minutes. <laughs> so yeah, like, but it's good. I mean, this was good. It's a good episode, yeah. but oh, like, I want to ask you. I, mean, I was really surprised. It, it just worked out this way. So thank you. For sure. So any last uh, tips or advice for uh, any viewers and listeners? Um, well, know thyself, first of all, but also, um, do something every single day towards your goal. Even if, if you're a writer, write one sentence a day until you get the inspiration to finish the paragraph. Um, or do one edit a day. Do one thing that takes you closer to your goal every single day. Even if it means like I'm, I have in the oven right now, I have uh, gluten-free beef jerky that I'm making for a friend so I can smell it right now. So I'm like cooking. And that's part of my cookbook to create recipes. And one of the things in my cookbook that I do love to do is to create op um, options for people who have different dietary needs. There's vegan jerky, there's gluten-free jerky, and there's beef jerky and venison jerky. So it's like, I'm cooking right now, but that's actually part of my process for the book. I have to test every recipe to make sure that the quantities are right and that it can be explained easily. But I'm doing that right now while I'm talking to you. And promotion, promote yourself. Be your, be, be your biggest cheerleader. And, you know, some people will get it. Some people will think, oh, I don't, you know, I don't need to post online every time I take a poop. Well, that's fine. You don't have to. This is how I use social media for my world and my life. If you don't like it, you can switch it off. And that's just the way sure. people are, you know? And I think that that's important for people in general. Find your light and go for it. As long as it's not that light in the tunnel that you see when you're dying, don't go there. Go away from that for until you finish what you're supposed to do. For sure. Now, lastly, but not least, <laughs> where do people find you online and where can they find your book? In prison. No. Um, uh, you can find me on Instagram and TikTok at Bobby Hedgeland Taylor and at Instagram and TikTok at Escape to Ravioli Mountain. Those are both of my... Instagram. And then on Facebook, Escape to Ravioli Mountain is the cookbooks page where I post a lot of photos uh, and recipes of the stuff I'm working on. And then um, on Amazon, you can buy Shit My Mama Says. It's a short book. It's it's not expensive and it'll give you a good chuckle. And if you leave it on your back of your toilet, people will read it when they're in the bathroom. So. <laughs> I want to say thank you for uh, appearing, especially, you know, such short notice. It's been amazing and very informative. Thank you for having me. Really, this is really fun. I, again, I love talking and meeting new people and sharing. It's just part of what, who I am. So thank you for having me. Absolute pleasure. If you like this episode and want to see more uh, shows, subscribe to the link below and get notified every time we go live.